First, Lord, we thank you for partaking of the communion sacrament. We thank you, Lord, that we're able to feast on Christ in a symbolic way, his body and his blood. We thank you, Lord, for the body that Christ gave on the cross in bearing our sins, bearing the wrath against sin on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for Christ being our substitute in doing that and for his shed blood which grants us forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we thank you this morning as we were reading the psalm that you are our light and our salvation. And because of that, Lord, we have nothing to fear. You are the strength of our life. Of whom shall we be afraid? Lord, when our enemies, the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the cross, the enemies of the church rise up against us, Lord, they stumble and fall. Though an army may encamp against us, Lord, our hearts shall not fear. Lord, one thing that we desire of you and that we will seek is that we may dwell in your house forever all the days of our life to behold your beauty and to inquire in your temple. For for in time of trouble you shall hide us in the secret place of your tabernacle, Lord, you will hide us. Lord, you shall place us high upon a rock. And Lord, when you place us high, you place us over our enemies. We don't have to fear them. We don't have to fear man because man cannot ultimately harm us. So Lord, I ask you this morning to hear when I cry with my voice. Lord, have mercy upon all of us. Have mercy upon us gathered here this morning and answer us. Lord, when you say seek your face, Lord, our hearts will say to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. And Lord, we ask you as we seek you to not hide your face from us, to not turn us away in anger, because, Lord, you have been our help. Do not leave us nor forsake us, Lord, O God of our salvation. Lord, many people on this earth, many people in our life will forsake us. Sometimes family members, sometimes friends, high school classmates, whatever the case may be, Lord. Sometimes people may forsake us because we believe in you. But, Lord, your word tells us when my father and mother or when our friends, when our family members forsake us Lord then you will take care of us so Lord we have nothing to fear when people abandon us when people forsake us when people who we thought were for us and loved us were actually against us because of what we believe in Lord teach us your way lead us in a smooth path because of our enemies and Lord, do not, do not deliver us to the will of our adversaries. Lord, we thank you that in you there is always hope. That we can always look to you. That we can always trust in you, Lord, because you are our rock and our salvation. And Lord, the psalmist proclaimed, I would have lost heart. I would 
have given up. I would have given in. I would have let go. I would have stopped going. He says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And Lord, because you are our rock, you are our light, you are our salvation, because you are the strength of my life, Lord, of, of our life, of the, the life of the living church, the life of all of our members. Lord, because you are all these things, we know that we will see your goodness in the land of the living. Lord, let this be something that we stand on, the, the truth of your word, as David proclaimed, that we would have lost heart unless we had believed that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Lord, let that be our heart cry. Let that be our heart's passion. Yes, sometimes we feel like giving up. Sometimes we don't feel like going on. Sometimes life gets so hard and so difficult. Sometimes things seem so unfair. Sometimes things just, Lord, we, we, we say in our hearts, Lord, we're, we're doing everything right. Why, is, why are things going so wrong when we're trying to do everything right? Lord, let us stop looking to ourselves and, and pitying ourselves. And say with David, I would have lost heart unless I believe. So, Lord, the question is, do we believe that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Do we believe that you are good? Do we believe that you are our light and our salvation? Do we believe that you are the strength of our life? Lord, do we believe those things? Do we, the living church, believe those things? Do we as individual members and families, do we believe those things? David says, unless I have believed that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So because of that, because we believe that we will see your goodness, Lord, your word tells us, wait on the Lord. And as we wait, be of good Courage. Waiting on God takes courage. It takes commitment. And Lord, what will happen? You will strengthen our hearts. Lord, as we wait on you, as we wait to see your goodness, as we wait to experience your goodness, Lord, you strengthen us for that wait. You strengthen us for the, the toils and the trials of this life. Because, Lord, our little strength can't take it. And he ends again by saying, wait, I say on the Lord. Lord, let there be our heart cry this morning. And, Lord, lastly, I pray. We come to you as your people gathered as one before you. With all of our weaknesses and failings and needs. Lord, we know that we need you. We need the grace that has come to us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We need to hear your gospel afresh, Lord. We need to hear from heaven this morning. We need the washing and the renewal of the spirit through the word. 
Lord, we need your illumination because our eyes are often dull and darkened. Lord, we just don't understand sometimes your word. We struggle. And so we ask now that you would teach us by your spirit through your word. We ask, Lord, that you would move us, that you would bring to light the greatness of who you are, our neediness, that you would stir up faith that we might look to you and you alone. Lord, I pray that you would remove from us pride and any thought that would hinder the reception of your word, any distraction. I pray that you remove it, Lord, so that we can receive your word as it is in truth in the word of God. Lord, I pray that in all of us now, as your people, we will receive your word with hunger and thirst and gratefulness. Lord, feed us through the word of Christ. And Lord, I pray that for all of our sister churches this morning, that you feed all of them through the word of Christ from their from their preachers. Brother Gobbleje and Josephus in Liberia and Brother Sylvester in, in uh, Zimbabwe and Brother Steve Mays in, in um, Jacksonville and Brother Curley in Lionville and Carlton and, and Bob and Phil and Brother Josh and Brother Cody and Brother Justin, Lord. All these men, all of us here at the Living Church, Lord that you feed us this morning through the word of Christ. Feed us by means of your word, Lord. Refresh us, renew us, revive us. Convict us and encourage us by your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. So, Ephesians 6. We're continuing through this book. I was talking to someone the other day, another uh, preacher, and I said, one thing I like about expository preaching, preaching through the Bible, <clears throat> is the Bible ultimately addresses all of our needs, all of our problems. The Bible ultimately addresses all those things. You work through scripture, you work through a book of the Bible long enough, and you will see, you will read something, some passage of scripture that will address something that you are dealing with and encountering. The past few weeks we've been talking about marriage, biblical marriage, and last week we talked about children and parents. Those are realities for some people. This morning, we're going to deal with work. Yes, that dreaded word, <clears throat> work. How are we as Christians to work? How are we as Christians to approach work? How are we to look at work? My prayer this morning as I pray that the Spirit of the Lord teaches us this morning about work. Let's look at what the word of God says. Ephesians 6. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9 this morning. Bond servants. Some translations may say slaves. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. 
with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will be received, rather he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. That him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We're talking about walking wisely in your relationships here. So just something to think about. As a big idea, our relationship to Christ and the fact that we live primarily for heaven should transform our relationships at work. How employees walk in the light. How do we walk in the light? We work as servants of who? Jesus. My prayer among many is that these words that the Lord speaks to us today would encourage us in our work when we go to work every day. That's my prayer. That it transforms. It's going to take time, but it can be done. But that it transforms how we work, how we approach. First thing off the top, most Christians think of worship as something that they do inside the church. That's what most Christians think. We think that when we think of the word worship, we think about what? Church service, the singing, the the preaching. Many people don't even look at anything else but singing as worship. Everything we do in church is an act of worship to God. The, The singing, the prayer, the scripture reading, the confession of sins, the reading of catechisms, the preaching and hearing of the word, the responsive reading, all those things we do in church, every single thing we do. What I'm doing right now is an act of worship to God. I'm preaching. And when you're hearing, you're hearing as an act of worship to God because you're hearing from God's word. So everything that we do in church is an act of worship. Not just the singing part. Not only that, but all of life is worship. All of life is worship. Why is this? Because the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So we ought to glorify God in everything that we do in every area of our life. Part of glorifying God is worshiping him. Worshiping God is glorifying him. Bringing glory to him alone as God. So most Christians think of worship as something that they do inside church. And we look at our jobs as, quote, secular. We look at our jobs as secular. That's the secular world, not the, not the, the spiritual world. Or the sacred. There's no such thing as a sacred, secular divide. That comes out of an ancient heresy that, that says that anything that we do 
it's not religious duty doesn't really matter doesn't really count work is not secular and we're going we're to look at that <laughs> now the Bible actually has a lot to say about work Genesis 2 when God made Adam work is mentioned in the Bible Adam worshiped God by working. God told God gave Adam the mandate to tend the earth. <clears throat> Excuse me. To make the earth fruitful. To make the earth productive. Look at Genesis 2, 15 through 17. And this all ties into what we're talking about this morning. I'm just laying a, a foundation as we get ready to go through this text in uh, Ephesians. We always had to start at the beginning like we did last week and week before last looking at marriage from the beginning of male and, and female Genesis 2 verse 15 through 17 then the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Tend means to cultivate. To cultivate soil means to make it fruitful, to produce. That's what I mean by cultivating. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you should not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. So, what did God put Adam in the garden to do? To tend to it, to cultivate it, to work. Work involves cultivation. And to keep it, to tend to it, to, to make it fruitful, to make it produce. So man's first duty when he was put in the garden was to do what? To work. He had to eat somehow. <laughs> so from the beginning of creation... Work is mentioned in the Bible. And I think what people uh, do in error, you know, it's not. I think people misunderstand the Genesis three when God gave out the curses to Adam and Eve. And people say that God cursed work. Work itself is 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 what was cursed. He just told Adam that man will have to toil in his work but not that work itself was cursed look at Genesis 3 and this is where God cursed man he cursed uh, you know the woman you know she would have pain in childbearing her desire be for her husband you know we talked about what that meant so look here in verse Genesis 3 verse 17 It says, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I command you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field In the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread 
till you return to the ground. For out of you were taken, and you know, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So the Lord cursed the ground, not work itself. So that's the nature of work. It is toil. It's physically demanding. Even in our day, right? I was I, I was telling somebody a couple weeks ago. Yes, I sit in front of a computer all day. Well, you know, most of all day. Even that work is mentally exhausting. Sometimes I have to take breaks and just go leave the office and go walking. And some of us work in warehouses and different places like that where there's more physical work involved. And that can be tiring too, especially as we get older. Some people work in schools around children. That is a mentally taxing uh, job. Just ask Francia, she'll tell you. Or ask Melissa, she'll tell you. Or ask Grace, she'll tell you. Working around children can be exhausting. But that's because of the curse. Not work itself, but the toy that comes with it. But that still does not negate the fact that we're called to work. Abraham Kuyper, the famous theologian of a long time ago, said that not one square inch of the entire cosmos, there's not one square inch over the entire cosmos where Christ has not declared mine. And what he means by that is that every part of the cosmos, the world in which we live, belongs to who? Christ. That includes your job. That includes where you work. That includes your place of employment. It belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to the company. Every single molecule in this creation belongs to Christ because he created it. Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell there. In. Everything belongs to God, even your job, the very land that your job is on belongs to the Lord. The very building that you work in belongs to the Lord. The very desk that you sit in, the very materials that you handle, all those things belong to the Lord. Why? Because everything that God made made those things possible. All of them. All the things that we work with, all the things that we sit in, all the things that we drive in or or live in, all those things come from God because God created the very materials to which those things can exist. He created the metals that make the walker, the jewelry, the vehicles, the rubber, the plastic, the steel, the iron, the aluminum. God created all the metals that made those things possible. This whole cosmos belongs to God, including your job. How many of us ever thought about work like that? Probably none of us. 
I hope through the preaching of this text that that's changed. So Paul here in this passage is talking from the context of slaves and masters. And he says it because in the first, actually slavery is as, as, is as old as human history. There were slaves in first century uh, ancient Rome. And slaves usually were people who were either working off debt or they were people who wanted to become slaves to work under someone knowing that they would be uh, taken care of. It was so common in that day. It was voluntary uh, slavery in the ancient world. A person would bind themselves over to the service of another person to pay off their debts, for example. And people were actually sold into slavery. Some people were stolen and put in slaves as it happened with the uh, transatlantic slave trade here in the West. And what Paul doesn't do in this passage is talk about which form of slavery was right or which form of slavery was wrong. What, what Paul focused on is for Christians, how are Christians to respond under those conditions? That was Paul's primary concern. So in our context, we don't have slavery. We have employers and employees, and some employees may think they're in slavery. <laughs> no, but the problem is slaves are not paid to do their work. Okay, so you're not a slave. You're free to go home every day. Amen. You get in a car and you drive to work, from work, or somebody picks you up or something like that. So you're not a slave. Slaves did not have that convenience of going home. They lived in slave quarters. They lived in the house or whatever the case may be. So you're not a slave. <laughs> okay, so let's just get that out of the way. Some people say, oh, we're in no, we're not in modern day slavery. Anyway, Paul is speaking in employee, employer context. So looking at our text this morning, how should we walk in the light? How do we walk as servants of Christ you are Christ ones I am a Christ one when we step step foot in our jobs in our place of employment we are Christ ones we're representing Christ bond servants the first word he says is be obedient We don't like that word obedience. Everybody's quiet because it's true. Paul said in Colossians 3, same parallel passage, whatever you do, work quality as to the Lord. So we're to be obedient on our jobs. All of our jobs have rules, right? And we're when we sign all the paperwork for our jobs, we're, we're, we're signing to basically be obedient to what our jobs call us to do. Unless they call you to sin, which I, most of them don't, work is not sin. I'm sorry, it's just not. If they call you to do something illegal or unlawful, that's different. You say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hold to my Christian integrity. Do that. But generally speaking, that's not the case. 
We just don't like our jobs. And we just don't like the people that we work for and work with. That's our problem as Christians. And God does not want us to work that way. People may not like us. Amen. We're not the most wonderful people in the world. I know I'm not. I can be very abrasive sometimes. I talk too loud. Uh, just naturally. That, that rubs people the wrong way sometimes. I don't even realize that. I had to catch myself. Man, I'm talking so loud. Sometimes I can be abrasive. And there may be other things about my personality that people may not like. That's life. So my point is, don't think that you have a problem with everybody else and somebody not have a problem with you. That puts us all on the same playing field. So, we ought to be what? Obedient to those who are our masters according to the flesh. Okay? We ought to be obedient to those who are our masters according to the flesh. Our earthly masters. The ones that we see every day. Our supervisors. Whatever, whatever your earthly master is called on your job. Whether it's your principal, your supervisor, or whatever the case may be. You ought to be obedient to them. As believers. We're talking about Christians. I don't expect non-Christians to act that way. But you know the sad thing is sometimes non-Christians act better than Christians do on some of these jobs. Amen. Sometimes that's true. They're less complainers than we are. So it says here. We obey those who are our earthly masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. So we show them their due reverence. That's what that means. You don't worship them, but you give them their due reverence. Just like we fear God, we give him his due reverence because he is worthy of our glory, honor, and praise. But we have a healthy fear for those who God has placed over us. We give them their due reverence. Because you know the truth is, if we were in that position of authority, we would want those who work under us to give us the due reverence. We'll say, y'all don't respect me as the leader. That's what we would say. We would say we're not being respected if we were the leaders and no one that, that was working quote under us is giving us the reverence that we think we deserve. We're going to say that. So why don't we give our leaders the due reverence that they deserve? We ought to be obedient to them according to the flesh with fear and trembling and also in what sincerity of heart we do it because we mean it we do it because we mean it we do it because we don't work ultimately for man but we work for the Lord so sincerity refers to a complete absence of deceit or being duplicitous you know acting one way in front of them and another way behind their back that's that's duplicitous you, you, you speak well of them to their face but then behind their back during break you run their name in the ground that's, that's what we call duplicitous 
That's not working sincerely. I'm going to tell you what, and I talk about this all the time. When I was at UPS, man, nobody liked Farrell Nails. <laughs> Farrell Nails was, was, was the supervisor uh, down there, uh, night dispatch supervisor guy, and nobody liked Farrell Nails except Ronald Haygood. I used to go and speak to Farrell. I used to open, open a little dispatch uh, door. Morning, Farrell. Nobody liked Farrell. I mean, you know, his personality wasn't the best. But Ronald Haygood treated him differently. I would go and speak to Farrell. And then when I left for the day, when all the drivers were in, whatever, blah, blah, Farrell, have a nice day. See you tomorrow, sir. See you in the morning, whatever. I always treated him well because I knew that everybody else didn't like him. My supervisors that I, that I worked for, my shift supervisors uh, up there, same thing. Formed great relationships with them. Everybody was talking back to them and arguing, getting in arguments with them. So no, no. Why? Because and my supervisor was younger than me. One of them was only, what, 21, 22 years old? I'm like twice the age. But the point is, is that our earthly masters according to the flesh we show them to do reverence that they deserve and we are sincere about it we are sincere when break time came I didn't sit around with everybody else and huddle and talk about people I went outside to my car sometimes slept in the back slept or took a nap in one of the back in the back of one of the package cars That's what we call the trucks, the brown trucks, the package cars. I just take a little nap or just sitting there with my music. You know, I didn't get into a conversation about people. We have to be sincere on our jobs. And here's the key. Look at the text. As to the Lord. That's why we do this. We are serving the Lord Christ. Paul says that in uh, Colossians 3 and 24. We have a higher boss than our employer. We as Christians, we have to remember this. We work for a greater reward than our salary. Our salary is not the greatest reward. Again, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10 and 31. Whether we eat or drink and whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. You're working for God. And when you work for God, you're going to work uh, with sincerity. You're going to work with fear and trembling. You're going to be obedient to your masters according to the flesh. Why? Because you know that you work for someone greater. Your motivations are different from those who are unsaved. My motivations are different. We have a, as Christians, we have a higher standard of excellence than the world does. And this comes from walking wisely. What does walking wisely come from? Being in Christ, being a Christian. That's what Paul talks about throughout this whole book. We're in Christ. We're saints. We're blessed with all the spiritual blessings in high places. We translated from death to life. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, we're one with Christ. And so now that we are that, we show it in how we work. 
We show it in how we work. We show it in how we approach work. And guess what? If it's hard, pray about it. Lord, give me a better worshipful attitude about work. We're doing it unto God and it should be done according to the highest standards of excellence as an offering to God. When we work, it is an offering to God. Do we look at work that way? No. Should we? Yes. Start today. Pray about it. Lord, help me to work as an offering to you. Help me to work unto you. Because we have a higher boss. We make beautiful things for God. And work is one of them. And someone say, well, my boss is terrible. He or she doesn't reward me properly. And this is what a lot of people say. They don't give me the recognition that I deserve. Not saying that's not true. But you know what? Suck it up, buttercup. You're working for a sinner. And you yourself are a sinner. And in the case of most of your supervisors, they're unredeemed sinners. We're redeemed sinners. We've been redeemed by Christ. We've been saved by Christ. We're born again. Most, most of us are working for people who are not saved. How do you expect them to act? Think about it. You should, well, they should have a conversation. No, they don't. They're un, they unbelieved. They're unvirginia. They don't, they don't have a biblical view of being a master, as we're going to look at here in, uh, in a little bit. They're unregenerate. They're unsaved. They're unredeemed. Or if they are saved, that preacher hasn't preached to them about work, or they skipped over the passages about this, and this hasn't been explained to them in the context in which it is for. That could be the case. Or you as a Christian, if they are, because you can say, hey, why don't you go home and read Colossians 3, 22-25? Hey, I got a passage of scripture for you to read. Have you ever read Ephesians 6, verses 5-9? through 9? My, my preacher just preached about this. Here, uh, listen to his sermon. You can share the, share the sermon with them. But the point is, we say that, oh, I'm not getting recognized like I, like I should. It's hard. It can cause loss of motivation. It really can. But you're not really doing it for them. You're doing it for God. When God is our motivation, people. I say it all the time. That's what helped me when I was at UPS. I got to work five minutes early, at least five minutes early every morning and open my little Bible app on my phone and and read and prayed Colossians 3, 22 through 25, which is basically almost as parallel to this passage right here. That was my motivation, working for God. My check said United Parcel Service on it, but ultimately it was the Lord. Yours may say Calhoun County Schools or WKW or uh, whatever the company is for where you work. Uh, whether it's the Social Security Administration, it doesn't matter. You work for the Lord. And you work as to him as soon as you step foot in that job. You're walking with a higher purpose. And if you think about it, 
the people that Paul was writing to had the worst possible situation. He said, slaves, obey your masters. None of us are in slavery, like I said earlier. <laughs> you get to leave work. You're not a slave. He was writing to people who were in worse situations than us. They were actual slaves. They were actually working for masters. Somebody may say, man, my boss totally owns me. No, they don't. You have to understand this. Even when we're in the worst and least rewarding circumstances, we're still to do our work unto God as a statement of his worthiness. God is so worthy that I'm willing to work for him no matter the circumstance. Think about how that sounds. God is so worthy that I'm willing to work for him even in the worst circumstances. Our motivation, as Paul says here, is to do what? As to the heart, as to Christ. So we work as to Christ. We got that motivation. He continues. Not with our service as men pleasers. We're not to work only when our boss is looking. <laughs> we're not to ride the clock until somebody walks by and we pretend like we're doing something. Some people are in job context where that happens. You're driving around on the clock. You know that's stealing. We talked about that before. That's actually theft. You're idle. You're not doing anything. In my office, I do my God on this best to when we have a lot of dead time, nobody's calling in, there's nothing going on. I'm still doing something, some type of work on my computer while the ladies sit around and and uh, do what ladies do most of the time when they get together. Talk. As my uh, former boss, Bill Ackersey, used to say, like a, a bunch of cackling hens. <laughs> So I make sure I try to keep myself with work because there's always something to do. But the point is, is that we're not to do it. We're not to work only when our boss is looking. Only when our supervisor is around. Not with our service and not as men pleasers. Men pleasers are those who only care about pleasing man. Don't walk in a way just so your boss can see you working to put on a show for them so they can give you a raise or commend you or whatever. No, that, that's the wrong motivation. You don't work so that you can be seen. You work because you're working for God. Work for him to see you, not man. Man can't ultimately reward. Yeah, they can give you a raise. They can commend you. They can recognize you. And like I said earlier, all of us want to be recognized. That's our human instinct. But don't work for that recognition because it's not going to always happen. What are you going to do then? Not work? You don't. 
They don't care about me enough. They don't ever tell me I'm doing a good job. Keep doing a good job. Who are you pleasing? Who's going to reward you in the end? It's not going to be your boss. It's going to be the Lord. So we don't do it as men pleasers. He says, but as bond servants of Christ. We work as slaves to Christ. We're ultimately slaves to Christ. We work for him. He is our boss. He is our supervisor. He is our Lord. He's our savior. We work for him. And how do we do it? Doing the will of God. There it is from the heart. Man, that's where it starts, people. What should set Christians apart? We do work from the heart for the glory of God. That's what sets us apart from every other person we work around. And again, if this is hard for you, pray it. Open up your Bible in the morning and pray this passage of Scripture. Lord, help me to be obedient to those who are my earthly masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to you, not with thy service as men pleases, but as a bond servant of you. Lord, may help me to do your will from the heart with good will doing service as to you and not to men. That's how you can pray that passage. Pray the scriptures until it gets in your heart. And guess what? It will. God will honor his word. His word will work in you, believer, by his spirit. But we're doing the will of God. Where's the will of God? To do what is pleasing to him. To do what is pleasing to him. Whether we eat or drink or mop floors or, or write uh, insurance policies or teach children or or putting something, assembling something together, or transporting something on a forklift, or whatever it is, we do it all to the glory of God. And this shows a statement of God's worthiness to us. We do it for Him. Our students, same way, students in school, they are students to the glory of God of God they do their work to the glory of God as students as parents we parent to the glory of God so what Paul is calling for here in essence is Christian integrity with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men we're, we're showing integrity and we could be honest, lack of integrity is nothing new in the workplace. A lot of people don't have good ethics in the workplace. They don't show good justice and integrity in the workplace. We know people that probably do crooked stuff on their jobs. They do things unethically. They don't have integrity. But guess what? As Christians, we should have the highest standards of integrity on our jobs we should be the most reliable and most dependable people on our jobs we should be the least complaining and that doesn't mean that there's nothing to complain about on your job that doesn't mean that there are things to complain about on your job yeah but the question is who are you complaining to and what are you complaining about 
if you join the chorus of complainers who are unbelieving, what does it say about you as a Christian? Who do we address our complaints to? The Lord. Lord, I hate this job. Just say it. It's in your heart. <laughs> it's not like God don't know your heart, right? Amen. As voter back will say, if you can't say amen, say ouch. I mean, you know, Lord, I hate this job. I don't like these people I work with. I can't stand them. Just be honest. But Lord, help me to work to your glory despite how I feel about this job. Despite how I feel about the people I work around. That's how you pray that prayer. Lord, I don't, man, I'll just be honest. Say, Lord, I don't like this job. It's, 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 it's too demanding physically. I'm tired every day. Or I'm not being recognized. And whatever other complaints you may have. Just confess it to the Lord. But turn it around like the Psalms do. The Psalms, they express all their despair. And then they turn around and hope in the Lord. Lord, I don't like this job, but help me to work to your glory. Help me to work as I'm as if I'm working for you. Help me to love those who are unlovable on my job. Help me to have a healthy respect for my supervisor. You never know what kind of witness your life could be to your unbelieving co-workers or supervisors. Don't you know they get it from everybody else? Don't y'all know that? They get it from everybody else? Why can't the Christian be different? My supervisor liked me because I wasn't like everybody else. I treated them differently. I didn't complain and talk back to them like everybody else did on the belt. Did I like some of No, I, I, I didn't. One of them, I was wondering, how in the world she become a supervisor? <laughs> she was a poor loader. She couldn't load, 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 load them trucks good at all across the belt for me. How how she become a supervisor? And she was sorry supervisor, but you know what? I still, and she was half my age, but I was still respectful to her because everybody else gave her grief. Because she was young, and she was a girl. She was a female. She was tough as nails, but she was a female. And none of those guys never respected her. The drivers never respected her. But I did, and I treated her with respect because she was my supervisor, and she appreciated that, and she's not a believer. Now, she didn't come to faith in Christ, but I was able to show her a good Christian witness, and that's the opportunity that we have on our jobs as we work to the Lord. Because if the unbelievers are doing it and we're doing it too, what distinguishes us from them? What makes us different? What makes us Christ ones? Again, reminder, we have a higher standard of excellence than the world does. We have a higher calling than the world does. We're saints of God. We're the elect of God. We're adopted into God's family. We are his children. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are, we are one with Christ. 
We've been taken from being spiritually dead to being made alive in Christ. We were enemies of God. Now we're friends of God. We were alienated from God. And now we're one with him through Christ. We have a higher standard and a higher call. And we work for God because he is worthy of our best work. And I mean that we always be on 10 every single day. But every single day we should strive to work from the heart with good will, doing good service. Now, Paul says this because, well, this is what Charles Spurgeon said about working as to the Lord. This is so good. Charles Spurgeon said, grace makes us servants of God while we are still the servants of men. It enables us to do business, do the business of heaven while we are attending to the business of earth. It sanctifies the common duties of life by showing us how to perform them in light of heaven. That's what we do. We do our work in light of heaven. It motivates us. Now, in Greek culture, about doing the will of God, you know, manual work was despised. And the goal of being successful in the, in the ancient Greek world was getting to the point where you never had to do any work. That sounds like modern American culture. Man, if you could retire at 55, you made it. Just a side note, retirement is not biblical. It's not a sin to retire, but retirement is not biblical. Yes, that's true. Because re retirement is a, it's a, it's a man-made system, you know, Social Security and all that stuff and everything, 401ks, nothing wrong with investing and all that. But the goal of work is work. <laughs> And Americans view retirement is what? Going to the beach for some people. You know, sitting on the beach uh, with a glass with a little umbrella sticking out of it. Eating and drinking and being merry. And doing nothing. Not serving the church, not serving the community, but serving yourself. Retirement is not biblical in the sense of the way that the world puts it. So we must see it as first. Now, a person has to retire because of physical issues and stuff like that. That's different. Those are exceptions, and that's why they are exceptions. I mean, exceptions. There's nothing wrong with retiring, but retiring is not biblical. But that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with retiring. By God's grace, with God's help, I plan on working into my 70s if, if, if I still have the help to do that. That's just me. I plan on preaching until, if, if I'm in a wheelchair, I'm going to still preach because as long as my mouth can work, I'm preaching. As long as my vocal cords are in good order, um, I'm going to still preach and proclaim. I'm still going to serve. 
Even if I'm not a pastor just preaching somewhere, serving at a church, even just teaching Sunday school or something, some type of ministry work, but also want to be at work doing something else. Why? Because I have that desire to do these things to the glory of God. Back to my sermon here. So doing the will of God, again, we do it because it pleases God. We do it because it is pleasing to God. In God's kingdom, hard work and manual labor are honorable, unlike it is in our culture. You know how culture looks down on people who do manual labor? People look down on custodians in a school or the cafeteria workers. People look down on uh, people who work in factories and plants and warehouses. Your work is no less honorable than theirs, people. Get that in your head. Your work is no less honorable. If you're a custodian, your work is no less honorable. If you're a groundskeeper, your work is no less honorable. If you work in a plant or warehouse, your work is no less honorable than someone who wears a suit and tie every day to work. That's the world's doing. That's the world making classes of people based on how they work and where they work and how much money they work. That's a world thing. That's a world concept. That's why I got people all want working on. Why? It's work. I'm telling my boys that. Get a job. Go work at Jack's. Go work fast food. Go work at a convenience store. Work. <laughs> I mean, just work. Produce. Be productive. Do something. Because work is honorable, no matter what kind of work it is. I'm not talking about what the world calls work, like prostitution. That's not work. That's sin. They're calling it sex work. No, it's prostitution, and it is wrong. It is sinful. Having OnlyFans, that's, that's not work. That's, that's sinful. That ain't work. That's sexual perversion and idolatry. It's going to lead you into a life of misery. That's not work. What do you do for work? Oh, I have an OnlyFans page. That's not work, honey. You're selling and you're prostituting yourself to people for a fee every month. That's not work. Look, people, who gives dignity in work? God does. You're doing it from the heart, doing the will of God, with good will, doing good service, as to the Lord and not to men. Your work has dignity. I don't care what anyone says. Your work has dignity. Because it is God who you're working for. Your work has dignity. It has worth. When you go to work, you have that attitude. Imagine how things would function if you didn't do your work. That shows you how important your job is, right? Imagine if the custodian didn't show up to work. Imagine if you didn't show up to your job at your plant or your factory. Uh, everybody goes on strike and stuff stops being produced. Amen. Did they realize the value of your work then, won't they? So your work has value, but that's just in the eyes of man. Ultimately, in the eyes of God, it has work no matter what conditions it's under. 
So, it says here, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he received the same from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. That's our motivation, people. The final reason for working hard for the Lord, God will return to us in the measure that we have worked hard for others. God will not allow your hard work to go without reward, Christian. Let that be an encouragement to you. If you're working hard, you're working a hard job, it's physically hard, it's a thankless job. I think about like social workers that work at DHR, that's a very thankless job. People that work at homeless shelters, people that work uh, in certain uh, professions, they're, they're, they're thankless. People don't, don't recognize those, those types of jobs. But guess who's going to recognize you one day, Christian? The Lord. You're going to receive a reward from God. That is your motivation. Paul says it here. Knowing that. Knowing that. Whatever good anyone does, you receive the same from the Lord. And this brings up an interesting principle here. When, when people are born again, their life changes and they become harder workers and less wasteful. That's usually what happens. That's what happens. We become hard workers because we're born again. Because we know ultimately our, our motivations change. We know that we're working for the Lord now. And we know that God is going to reward us. God is going to say to us in the end. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Are we going to be good? And are we going to be faithful on our jobs? So that he can say to us one day. Well done. You worked hard. You persevered. You didn't get all the recognition that you think you deserved. You didn't get all the applause and the acclaim. You didn't get employee of the month or employee of the year. You didn't get raises like you thought you should have. Well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. No earthly boss can give you joy like Jesus will on that great day. No job will give you the joy that only Christ can give you when you see him in the end. Does that help us? I hope it does. Now, this is probably you can wag your finger. Verse 9. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Amen. I ain't supposed to say, mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those of us, if you ever get in a supervisory position, I'm working to become a, a, a state farm agent, have my own agency one day. I want to have an agent team members working for me. I have to keep this passage in mind myself when I become an agent. If you become a supervisor on your job, masters are called to do the same things to their employees. As servants ought to work hard and honestly for their masters, their masters ought to do the same on behalf of those who work for them. So if you're a supervisor, assistant manager, whatever the case may be, and you have people who are subordinate to you, guess what? You have to treat them the same way 
you're working as to the Lord as a boss. Equal obligation. Just as the employee has an equal obligation to the master, the master or the employer has an equal obligation to the employee. You have to give up threatening and other forms of harsh treatment. They do this knowing that they're employees of their master in heaven. They, they, they do this, and these are for Christian employers. But for your unbelieving employers, it's probably not going to happen. But you can pray for them. That the Lord works in their hearts. Man, God is still saving. Don't think that your employer, your, your, your boss, or the company, the CEO, don't think that they're beyond redemption. God still is in the saving business. God can save your supervisor. He can change their hearts. Have you tried praying for them? As you work for the Lord, you pray for them. You pray for their souls. You pray that God, by common grace, gives them a biblical view of work. We can pray for them. Not, Lord, give them a heart to recognize me. <laughs> because that's a selfish, self-centered prayer. No, Lord, give them a heart to be a good master give them a heart to be a good supervisor good good principal give them a it starts in the heart first because they can recognize you and not even mean it not even have good motives behind it it has to come from where the heart has to be sincere and heartfelt just as you're working for the uh, you're working for them you're working for the Lord you're doing it with a sincere heart you want them to be sincere in their gestures toward you amen Want them to be sincere. So, as we close, put these feathers in your cap. Don't ignore your work life. Work matters to God. And God matters to work. Remember that TLC. Work matters to God and God matters to work. Is where you spend most of your week. You got 120 hours in a seven day week. You probably spend almost some of y'all maybe close to half or a, a third of your life at work. And if you and if you count driving to and fro. You can add a couple of hours to your day. Or 30 extra minutes, which is an hour a day. You know, add, add that time to it. You're spending a, a, almost a third of your life at work. Work matters to God. So, that's what I want you all to remember. If Jesus is your life, you can enjoy the rest of your life. You're in Christ. He's in you. Christ helps us to enjoy the rest of our life. Now, work is a terrible God, but God is a great God.
That's why we don't worship our jobs and where we work and the kind of work that we do because work is a terrible God. Because God is the one who we can depend on. We can't ultimately depend on our jobs because eventually we're going to have to leave that job. Our job may shut down. Our job may have cutbacks and layoffs. Our hours may be cut back. So ultimately we cannot depend on our jobs so we depend on God. And it is God who takes care of our ultimate problem. Our ultimate problem is not lack of money. It's not lack of recognition. Our ultimate problem is death. Dying without Christ. Christ died to reconcile us to God. Do we have that problem solved? That's the one that truly matters. And if Christ took care of the work of reconciling us to God, guess what? He's going to take care of our daily needs. Paul, I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 6 about not worrying. If he takes care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, will he not much more take care of you, O you of little faith? He's going to take care of you. Work for his glory, and you will see him work. Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of work. Thank you for this message. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that, Lord, that it was convicting but also encouraging. I pray, Lord, that it caused us to look at ourselves, do a self-examination and how we approach work. I pray, Lord, that this message is a launch pad for us to revolutionize how we work as Christians here at this church and those who will hear this message. Help us, Lord, as bond servants of Christ to work from the heart, to work with sincerity, to work with fear and trembling, as to Christ, to not work with our services, men pleasers, but Lord, help us to work as bond servants of Christ, doing your will from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to you, Lord, and not to men, because Lord, whatever good we do, we will receive the same from you, whether we are slave or free. Lord, may this prayer, may this sentiment, may this principle be present in our life from henceforth until you call us home. Lord, you're faithful to do it. In Christ's name I pray, amen.